Section 19 of O. Henry Encore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Binkley's Practical School of Journalism. Last Tuesday afternoon, a ragged and disreputable-looking man was noticed standing on a corner of Main Street. Several persons who had occasion to pass a second time along the street saw him still standing there on their return. He seemed to be waiting for someone. Finally, a young man came down the sidewalk, and the ragged man sprang upon him without saying a word and engaged him in fierce combat. The young man defended himself as well as he could but he had been severely handled before the bystanders could separate them. Of course, no policeman was in sight, and the affair ended with as little noise and confusion as it began with. The young man slunk away with a black eye and a bruised cheek, and the ragged man, with a look of intense satisfaction on his face, turned off down a side street. A postman, who had viewed the occurrence, was struck with something extraordinary in the man's appearance, and satisfied that there was more in the situation than appeared on the face of it, followed the aggressor. As he came up behind him, the disreputable-looking man said aloud to himself in a voice that expressed a deep and triumphant joy, That is the last of the lot. After all, the pursuit of revenge gives more pleasure than its attainment. I have robbed my existence of its aim. The man continued his course, turning corners in a hesitating way, with the manner of one unfamiliar with the town, and, after a time, entered an obscure saloon on Congress Street. The postman also entered, and sipping a glass of water which he begged of the saloon man, he saw the ragged man seat himself at a small table. Although his attire was mean and torn, and his hair disheveled and uncared for, his face showed evidence of much intelligence that rather belied his uncouth dress. Spurred by curiosity, the postman also took a chair at the table. With the tact and enterprise of his craft, he soon engaged the mysterious stranger in conversation and found him, as he had expected, to be a man of education and manners. "'When you tell me you are a newspaper man,' he said with a graceful wave of his hand, "'you compel my confidence. I shall tell you my story. I once run a newspaper myself.' He rapped on the table, and when the waiter came he fished up from the depths of his rags a lean pocketbook, from which he shook upon a table a single dollar. Handing this to the waiter, he said, a bottle of your best wine and some good cigars. Really, said the postman as he placed two fingers in his vest pocket. I can't allow you. You must let me. Not at all, said the ragged man with dignity. I have ordered. The postman awaited with impatience the narrative of his strange entertainer. My name is Binkley, said the ragged man. I am the founder of Binkley's Practical School of Journalism. The dollar I have just spent is the last dollar I have in the world, and the man I licked uptown is the last one of the editorial and reportorial staff of my newspaper that I have treated in the same manner. About a year ago I had 15000 in cash to invest. 
I could have invested it in many things that would have been safe and paid a fair percent. But I unluckily conceived an original idea for making a good deal more. I understood the newspaper business as I had served eight to ten years on a first-class journal before I fell heir to the 15,000 on the death of an aunt. I had noticed that every newspaper in the country is besieged with ambitious youths who desire a position in order that they may learn journalism. They are for the most part college graduates and a great many of them care little for the salaries connected with the positions. They are after experience. The idea struck me that they would be willing to pay handsomely for situations where they could imbibe the art of practical journalism as found in a first-class newspaper office. Several schools of journalism had already been started in the country and were succeeding well. I believe that a school of this nature, combined with a live, prospering newspaper that had good circulation, would provide a gold mine to its originator. In a school, they could only learn a theory. In my school, both theory and practice would work hand in hand. It was a great idea. I found a newspaper that would sell out. It was in a large southern city. I don't care to give its name. The proprietor was in ill health, and he wanted to leave the country. It was a good plant, and it was clearing $3,000 a year above expenses. I got it for $12,000 cash, put $3,000 in the bank, and sat down and wrote out a neat little advertisement to catch the young would-be journalists. I sent these advertisements to some big northern and eastern papers and waited for responses. My paper was well known, and the idea of getting a place on it to learn journalism seemed to strike the people just right. I advertised that as there were only a limited number of places to be filled, I would have to consider applications in the form of bids, and the one bidding highest for each position got it. You wouldn't believe it if I told you the number of answers I got. I filed everything for about a week, and then I looked over the references they sent me, sized up the bids, and selected my force. I ordered them to report on a certain day, and they were on time, eager to go to work. I got 50 per week from my editorial writer, $40 from my city editor, 25 each, from the three reporters, $20 from a dramatic critic, $35 from a literary editor, and $30 each from night and telegraph editors. I also accepted three special writers who paid me $15 per week each for doing special assignments. I was the managing editor and was to direct, criticize, and instruct the staff. I discharged the old force, and after an hour's course of instruction, I turned my new staff loose upon their duties. Most of them had graduated with high honors at college and were of wealthy families who could afford to pay well for the splendid advantage of entering them in Binkley's practical school of journalism. 
When the staff dispersed, eager and anxious, to their several duties, I leaned back in my revolving chair with a smile of satisfaction. Here was an income of $1,400 per month coming from and not paid to my staff, besides the $3,000 yearly profit from the paper. Oh, it was a good thing. Of course, I expected a little crudeness and stiffness about the work of my staff at first, but I calculated that they would err on the side of fine writing rather than otherwise. I lit a cigar and strolled through the editorial rooms. The leader writer was at his desk working away, his high intellectual forehead and broadcloth clothes presenting a fine appearance. The literary editor was consulting an encyclopedia with a knitted brow, and the dramatic critic was pasting a picture of Shakespeare above his desk. The city force were out news-gathering. I began to feel sorry for people who were unable to think up such a fine scheme as I had. Everything was working as smooth as you please. I went downstairs, and, rendered reckless by success, I hunted up an old friend and confided to him my wonderful scheme. He was impressed, and we hied ourselves to a caravansary and opened bottle after bottle in honor of the idea. When I returned to the office, the entire staff was there with their day's work turned in. The truth is, I was so exhilarated by what I had taken that I hardly knew what I was reading when I looked over their copy. But with a mistaken confidence in the ability of my scholars, I let the stuff all go on the file, and shortly afterward, the foreman carried it away. I instructed the night editor as to his duties and went home to dream of my good fortune. The next morning, I came downtown about nine o'clock, and it seemed to me I couldn't see anything but newsboys. The town was full of them, and the people were buying my paper as fast as the boys could hand them out. I fairly swelled with satisfaction and pride. As I neared the office, I saw five men with shotguns standing on the sidewalk. One of them caught sight of me and took a snapshot at me as I turned the corner. A buckshot went through my ear and several through my hat. I didn't wait for explanation, as the other four men also tried to get a shot at me, and I cut around the corner and dodged into a back lot full of empty dry goods boxes. A newsboy went by calling the paper, and I whistled him up to a crack in the fence and bought one. I thought perhaps there might be something in the paper that had offended somebody. I crawled into a big box and opened the paper. The more I read, the wilder I became. Excuse me for changing the subject, continued the ragged man. But you said something a while ago in reference to this liquid refreshment, which I perceive is already finished. The postman stammered, hesitated, felt in his vest pocket once more, and then arose, and taking the saloon man aside, whispered with him for about fifteen minutes. The result was that the saloon man brought back another bottle of wine, but with a very bad grace, slamming the bottle and glasses upon the table in an ill-bred and ungracious manner. 
The ragged man smiled, filled the glasses, and then, his face taking on a deep frown, as his mind reverted to his story, he continued, I turned to the first local page. The first item that met my eyes was this. Colonel J. Harry Gwynne, the administrator of the Perkins estate, has robbed the family of the deceased of over $75,000. The heirs will bring suit for that amount at an early date. I remembered that the man who fired at me looked a good deal like Colonel J. Henry Gwynne. The next item was as follows. A certain city alderman residing not many miles from number 1204 West 32nd Street has recently built a $10,000 residence. Votes in the city council must be getting higher. There were about 15 items of the same kind, and every one of them was a dead shot for big damages. I glanced at the society columns and saw a few harmless little squibs like the following. Mrs. General Crowder gave a big ball last night on Johnson Avenue. It does seem like she would get a divorce from that ticket agent in Kansas City before she tried to cut such a swell as old Crowder's wife. Henry Baumgarten beat his wife again last night. The ladies' histrionic society met last evening over Klein's music store. Miss Sadie Dodson was overcome by the heat and was taken home in a hack. Heat, that's a new name for it. These are some of the least objectionable items. There were some that made my hair raise slowly on my head as I read them. Mechanically, I turned to the editorial page, thinking it hardly possible there would be anything wrong with it. The first article charged every city and county official with corruption in office, calling them by name, and wound up offering to give $10,000 any charity fund if the paper did not prove every charge within ten days. I crept through the lot, knocked a board off the next fence, and made my way to the back stairway of the office. I found two of my reporters cursing and kicking in the backyard. One of them was in a heap of soft coal dust, and the other was hanging by his coattail on a picket fence. Somebody had thrown them out of the window. Sick at heart, I crept upstairs to the editorial rooms. There was considerable noise going on. I went in easy as I could and looked around. My $50 editorial writer was in a corner with half a chair in his hands, defending himself manfully against a quorum of the city council. He had laid out three of them and was putting up a great fight. The city editor was lying on the floor with four men sitting on him, and a large, angry German was trying to punch the dramatic editor off the top of the bookcase with a piece of gas pipe. It is enough to discourage any man to have a staff that is paying him $1,400 per month treated that way. I went into my private office, and the enraged public followed me there. I knew it was no use to argue with them, so I pulled out my checkbook and tried to compromise. When all the money I had in the bank was exhausted and another batch of infuriated citizens came in, I gave up in despair. At 11 o'clock, the business office force came up in a body and resigned. At 12 o'clock, damage suits were filed against the paper to the amount of $200,000. And I knew... 
every one of them was good for a judgment. I went downstairs and got about nine drinks and came back. I met the editorial writer on the stairs, and I hit him on the point of the chin without saying a word. He still held one leg of the chair in his hand, and he swiped me over the head with it and ran. When I got inside, I found that the dramatic critic was about to win the day. He was a college man and a great football player. He had thrashed the big German and had pulled the four citizens off the city editor, and they were waging great battle with the foe. Just then, the society editor dashed into the room barefooted in his shirt and trousers, and I heard a tremendous screeching and chattering as if a thousand parrots were talking at once. Run, he gasped out. The women are coming. I looked out the window and saw that the sidewalk was full of them. I made a break for the back window, jumped off onto a shed, and never stopped until I was a mile out of town. That was the end of Binkley's practical school of journalism. I have been tramping about the country ever since. The fellow I attacked on the street today was a special Houston correspondent I had engaged. I had a little grudge against him on the account of the first communication he sent the paper. I gave him carte blanche to send in what he thought best, and he wired us 40,000 words the first day about the mockingbirds singing in the trees by the courthouse while the snow was three feet deep in Dakota. Do you not think I've had some hard luck? I must tell you, said the postman, that I don't believe your story at all. The ragged man replied, sadly and reproachfully, Did I not pay my last dollar for refreshments while telling it to you? Have I asked you for anything? Well, said the postman, after reflecting a while, it may be true, but... Houston Daily Post, Sunday morning, February 16, 1896 End of Section 19